Now, City Church exists so that all people can believe and thrive in Christ. And so no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away from God you might feel, this is a safe community where you can explore our faith in Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus started a movement, and he called that movement the church. And he intended that that movement would be a messy movement because he created this movement for messy people to give them hope that something beautiful could come from the messiness. And I hope today that you find hope, that you really believe that something beautiful can come from whatever messiness you may have experienced in life. And a few years ago, I saw something that helped me picture what I'm talking about. So back in 2014, in December 2014, Barbara and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, we got married when we were five. And, uh, uh, and, and so, you know, in any of those anniversaries that ends with a zero, it was 30, so I knew I had to do something big. So I surprised her with a trip to New York City, one of her favorite cities after San Antonio. And so uh, lined that trip up, but what I didn't tell her is that I also flew the kids out ahead of time, stayed at a different hotel, and then they met, met us at Rockefeller Plaza with the New York City Fire Department chaplain, and once we got there and she saw the kids were there, we renewed our vows and saw, oh, yeah, baby. <clears throat> so, so I, you know, I took care of like the romantic stuff for like 10 years or so. I think I'm good, you know? <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> while we were there, we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. And, you know, I don't know what kind of art you like. Most of my life, I like the kind of art that looked like what it was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like, like when uh, Michelangelo made a person out of stone, it looked like a person, but just made out of stone. Or like when Rembrandt would paint a portrait, it looked like that person was sitting in front of you. You know, that kind of stuff. But... As I got older, I got to where I developed a fondness for modern art. And my favorite modern artist is Jackson Pollock. He, he takes like dribbles and splashes and splatters, seemingly random and chaotic, and turns them into something beautiful. Pollock is a master at turning seeming messiness into a masterpiece. And that is what Jesus' movement is all about. He created his movement for messy people with messy lives to give them the hope that he, as the master artist, could make something beautiful from the mess, that he could turn our messes, even our biggest messes, into a masterpiece. But for our messy lives to become a masterpiece, we have to get real about the messiness, don't we? And let's be honest, Church has not always been a safe gathering to get real about your messes, right? And so, you know, I told you last week that I grew up in the church, and I'm glad I grew up in the church, <clears throat> but I didn't grow up in a messy church. I grew up in a neat church. And though I was glad I grew up in a neat church, I realized that it was a hard place for people with messy lives to get real about their messiness. And so by neat church, I mean a place where everyone looked nice, Everyone seemed fine, even though we really weren't fine, 
<clears throat> so in my neat church, we wore neat clothes to a neat sanctuary. We sang neat songs. We had neat smiles. We listened to neat sermons. And then we went home to the messiness of our lives. It was like at the church gathering, we couldn't get real about the messiness. And, and looking back now, it feels like putting on our neat clothes and going to our neat church masked the messiness of our lives. And so nobody would get real about their messiness in the church because that might show you lack faith or something. And so we never got real about the messiness. And you certainly didn't get real about the messiness with your pastor, right? Neat churches are neat gatherings for neat people to keep their neat lives neat. And that is not what Jesus intended from his movement. When Jesus started this movement, he intended it to be a messy movement where messy people could experience the beauty of messy grace. And yet, that's not where, what most of us have experienced in church, right? Jesus intended that this could be a safe place, a messy place, where you could really get real about what you're struggling in life, where you could actually admit, my finances are a mess, I need help. We're struggling in our marriage. And we don't know what to do. You know, I'm not sure I even believe there's a God. I'm wrestling with anger or an addiction. I can't get beyond the abuse I have faced. My PTSD, my depression, is causing me to feel isolated and alone. When Jesus started this movement, he intended it to be a messy movement where people with messy lives could experience the beauty of messy grace. He wanted to give us hope that we really could see our lives become beautiful, that we really could see the messiness become a masterpiece. And so that is why City Church is a messy church. And we are messy intentionally. And so if you're maybe new to church or at least new to this church and you feel like your life is a bit of a mess, welcome. You're in good company because we get real about the fact that we all have some messiness. Come on. <clears throat> Jesus came to give us hope. And I want to make sure we understand hope is not that we've never experienced messiness. We've never made poor, messy choices. Hope is the belief that there is a master artist who can take even our messiness and turn it into something beautiful. He can take our biggest messes and turn them into masterpieces. And that is what his movement is all about. So, when Jesus first named his movement the church, it occurred after one of his followers named Peter became the very first person to say out loud who he thought Jesus was. He said, Jesus, I think you're the son of the living God. And in response to that faith declaration, Jesus made this promise. <coughs> This is Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. From what we can see, this was the first time Jesus named his movement and he called it the church. And that word translated church literally means called out ones. And wherever you see that word used in the New Testament, it never refers to a building or a place. It always refers to a people. So I want us to get this. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was talking not about this building. He was talking about us. We are the church. We are the called out ones. 
The church is a people, not a place. The church is a body, not a building. The church is a movement, not a meeting. The church is a called out people, united together as a called out body, sent out to be a called out movement to serve our messy world. And we serve our messy world not because, well, we have it all together. And those people out there, they're just a mess. Mm -mm. We're just messy people who have experienced the beauty of messy grace. And we want to help others do the same. That's what his church is all about. And so as a church movement, last week I, I shared with you, I feel for us to represent this movement well. We have to take on two key characteristics that Jesus exhibited when he was on the earth. And so I want, to, I want us to review this verse again that reveals these characteristics. You ready? This is John chapter 1, verse 14. This is John's account of Jesus' life. And he wrote this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Grace and truth. <clears throat> so when God's son became a human being, when he became one of us, he came full of grace and truth. Not half full of grace, half full of truth. He came full of both. And grace means encountering unmerited favor, like experiencing God's forgiveness without earning it. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve, and it's a good thing. And then there's truth. He came in full truth. Truth means getting clear about what is real, what is right, and what is wrong. And truth matters because according to Jesus, truth is what helps us to break free from the bondage of, of inner uh, struggles with our sinful nature that cause us to behave in dysfunctional ways and to have toxic emotions that keep us from thriving in life. This is how Jesus put it in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32. He was speaking and he, he was talking to believers. And he said, if you hold to my teachings, you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. According to Jesus, knowing the truth, his teachings, knowing the truth, is what sets you free. And that's a critical part of becoming the masterpiece that Jesus sees in you. And so I want to see that we put these two characteristics together. Full grace means you can come to Jesus as you are before you get your act together. Full truth means when you come to him, he's going to teach you his truths to help you get free so you can get your act together. Full grace Full truth, that is what his movement is all about. And both aspects are critical in becoming the masterpieces that Jesus sees in us. But as we said last week, there's sort of a tension between grace and truth because they feel like opposite characteristics, don't they? It's like, well, if you're totally gracious, well, you can't always speak the truth and live in the truth. And if you live in the truth, well, sometimes you can't be gracious. And so we feel the tension. And so that, that's why it's critical for us as a church movement to be full of both grace and truth. So I want us to look once again at an interaction that Jesus had with somebody and look at the way he, he created the kind of culture he wanted for his movement that was full of both grace and truth. All right, you ready? So let me set up the scene. So Jesus was in the area of Judea, which is in the current land of Israel, he wanted to go back to his homeland of Galilee up north, but to do so, he needed to pass through an area called Samaria. Now, Samaria is where the Samaritans lived. 
And the Samaritans were people who used to be Jewish people who, who intermarried with people from many other countries over centuries and centuries. And by Jesus' day, that intermarrying of people led to a mingling of religions and religious beliefs, so much so that there was real tension between the Jewish people and Samaritans. In fact, by Jesus' day, Jews did not talk to, associate with, or even look at Samaritans. Okay, so you got the scene. So Jesus is leaving Judea. They had walked for about six hours, <clears throat> and they were tired. They were hungry. It was hot. They were thirsty. They came to a well, but they had no way of drawing water. So Jesus sent his disciples on to town to buy some food, and he was sitting by a well, thirsty with no way to draw water. Just then, a Samaritan woman came up to draw water, and Jesus asked her for a drink. We pick it up, uh, the story, in John 4, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, hey, wait a minute, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, there's something else you need to know was going on in this scene. In Jesus' day, women tended to, to travel together to get water, they would do that for safety. And they would always do it in the morning when it was cool, not in the heat of the day. So the fact that this Samaritan woman was there at a well alone and during the heat of the day, it meant she had some messiness in her life. So much so, think about this, that even the other women in her town would not associate with her. And they made sure she knew it too. So she had to go there to draw water all by herself. And so Jesus offered this woman what he called the gift of God, the gift of grace. He called it living water. Now, at first, the woman was thinking, water, water, okay, you don't have any way of drawing water. I've got a way to draw water. You don't have, how are you going to give me this water, this living water? And so Jesus clarified the gift he was offering her. This is verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. So he's pointing at the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see what's going on here? Jesus offers this woman with a messy life, he offers her eternal life. He offer, offers her God's gift of grace before she's gotten her act together. No matter where she was in her spiritual journey, no matter what she had done, no matter how far away she had gone, Jesus offered her eternal life. And I want you to, to really believe this. No matter where you are in your journey, no matter what you've done, no matter how far away you have gone, Jesus offers you God's gift of grace. He offers you eternal life. So with full grace, Jesus offers eternal life to this Samaritan woman with some kind of messy past, right? Well, now we find out just how messy her life had gotten. Uh, are you ready? This is verse 15. <clears throat> the woman said to him, so Jesus had offered this living water. The woman said to him, sir, 
give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Hmm. Why, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Uh, What you have just said is quite what? True. Ooh, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Rut row. (laughs) Jesus knew the full truth about her messy life. She had been married five times. Okay, that's a lot of marriages gone sour, even in our day. Back then, it was scandalous. I mean, this is the real housewives of Samaria or something. (laughs) And think about the messiness. Okay, some of us grew up in, in uh, blended families. Some of us live in blended families. There's nothing wrong with that. We understand that that happens. But think about not dealing with just one ex or two exes with the step-parents and step-kids and all that. Imagine five exes with five step, sets of step-parents and step-kids. Oh my gosh, what a mess. And then she's shacking up with some dude she's not married to now. Oh my gosh, what a mess. And here's the thing we know. Everybody in her town knew about her mess, and they ostracized her. They refused to associate with her. How sad. How messy. But don't miss the beauty of the scene. You see, Jesus already knew about the messiness of her life, and yet he still offered her God's grace. He offered her eternal life anyway. And so I want to make sure that we grasp this. God's gift of grace is not determined by your ability to get your act together so you can earn, be worthy of his grace. It's not the way grace works. Grace means you can come to Jesus as you are. And he offers you forgiveness and eternal life as you are. God's gift of grace, it's for people who are just humble enough to admit their messy life and to realize they need grace. Because let's be honest, we've all done wrong. We've all hurt people. We've all said words we wish we hadn't said. So we all need grace. And Jesus offered her full grace, the grace of eternal life. And she wanted that kind of life. And did you know what? notice what happened? Jesus put, pulled together full grace, the offer of eternal life, with the truth of her life. It's grace and truth. He connected the two. And when Jesus told her truths about her life, that there's no way he could know other than something supernatural had happened. She sensed it. And so she she said, okay, so like, are you a prophet or something? And then she began to engage Jesus in a religious conversation. Uh, This is verse 25. (coughs) The woman said, okay, look, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. So let me pause for a second. So the Messiah, the Christ, was promised by the prophets in the Old Testament about a coming day when the Son of God would become a human being, when he would come and perform mighty miracles, when he would rescue people from uh, their sins. Okay, that's the Messiah. And she knew about the Messiah. So let's go back to what she said. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus completed the offer of grace by revealing, by revealing the truth fully about who he is. I am the son of God. 
I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And as the Christ, he has authority to offer grace. As the Christ, he has authority to forgive sins. As the Christ, he has authority to give people eternal life. And Jesus' offer of full grace, even in the light of full truth, so astonished the woman that she left her jar right there at the well, ran, get this, all the way back to the town of people who refused to associate with her, told them about the impact Jesus had in her life. The townspeople came back out to the well. They were so impacted by, by the, the way the woman's life had been impacted by Jesus that they invited Jesus and his disciples to stay with them for two days. These people that wouldn't even talk to each other for two days. And at the end of that time, the scriptures say that many people in her town also believed in him. In fact, they declared, we believe he is the savior of the world. But it all began with a messy woman with a messy past who experienced the beauty of messy grace. And Jesus turned her messiness into something beautiful. He took even her biggest messes and turned them into a masterpiece. And that's why we, <coughs> we are still talking about her story today. Jesus intended that his movement would be a messy movement with, where all kinds of people with messy lives could come and experience the beauty of messy grace. Where all people could find hope to believe that even their messiness could be turned into a masterpiece. That's what the church movement is all about. And so that's why here at City Church, we work very hard to protect our full grace, full truth culture. And we have some behavioral values that we believe helps us do that. And so I want to share those values with us. The first value helps us live between the tension of full grace and full truth. Because you can see how there's tensions between the two. And if you remember last week, we talked about some churches, they sense the tension and they don't try to live in the tension. They pick one or the other. They become all grace churches, but no truth or all true churches and no grace. And it just, it just doesn't work right. And so I had some of my staff help me create a mathematical, like a uh, geometric picture to depict the tension. And so if you could picture, you know, full grace as a line going one direction and full truth as a line going the other, creating an axis. <laughs> and so on the bottom left side of the axis, you see churches where there's no grace and no truth. These kinds of churches, they create disconnected, apathetic, ritualistic followers who view church as a box to, check, box to check off, not a movement that changes their lives. Come on. Some of us who grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about. Some churches are truth-only churches. And truth-only churches use the truth like a hammer to pound people into doing the right thing. Truth-only churches come across as judgmental. And when people feel the judgmental attitude and the legalistic attitude, they feel repelled from coming to experience grace. Truth-only churches drive people away. And then there's grace-only churches in the upper uh, left quadrant. Grace-only churches, they just want everybody to feel good. Just everybody feel nice. Everybody feel happy. Come on. And, okay, okay. And some of you, you think that's what you want. And I, I promise you it's not. Because this is what happens in grace-only churches. Oh, yeah, you feel good. You feel neat. You feel happy. But you never deal with the inner issues, the inner struggles. You never get real about them. You never 
allow truth to address those inner issues, those dysfunctional behaviors, those toxic emotions that sabotage your ability to thrive in life. life. And so, okay, this is what happens in grace-only churches. Grace-only churches enable people to remain in the stench of their messiness. And then there are full grace and full truth churches who live in this tension between full grace and full truth. Right? And that's what, that's what we are, and that's why we do li- live with the tension. I need you to know that. So how do we live in the tension? So this first uh, behavioral value is what helps us live in the tension. So how do you live in the tension between full grace and full truth? Jesus taught us it's love. Love allows you to live in the tension. And so we ask all of our people here at City Church to radically love all people. And we radically love by showing people grace wherever they are in their spiritual journey before they get their act together, just like Jesus showed that Samaritan woman and just like Jesus loves us. We also, though, in the tension of love, we speak the truth because that is a part of love. Look, if if I see someone with behaviors, attitudes, emotions that, that are keeping them from thriving in life, love compels me to say something, to speak the truth, because it's full grace and full truth that help people become masterpieces. But when we speak the truth, City Church, when we speak the truth, don't be a jerk about it. Speak the truth with love, because see, love allows you to speak the truth with compassion and empathy. So the first uh, behavioral value we have is radically love. The second one It just allows us to even create a setting where anyone can experience full grace and full truth. So at City Church, we sacrificially give. Messy churches cost money. And when Jesus started his movement, he took donations to fund his movement. Back then, we still receive donations to fund his movement today. Now, I do want to say, if you're new to church, you're still not sure what you think about God and Jesus and all this stuff. No sweat. You're welcome here as long as you want to be here. I don't expect you to give until you can give as an act of faith. But if you believe in Jesus and his movement has changed your life, I believe it's critical that you invest your finances in the greatest movement ever. And here's what happens when you do that. When you invest your finances in his movement, one, you're investing in a movement that's helping you become a masterpiece. You're investing in a movement that helps other people become the masterpieces Jesus sees in them. And when you invest your money in his movement, you position your life and your finances in the flow of God's blessing. And that is where you want to be. Now, you might say to me, you know, Pastor Brent, you're talking about that messiness stuff? Well, my finances are a big part of my messiness. All right, I understand. I've been there. So this fall, we're offering a program called the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University uh, program. And this program can help you uh, come to a place of peace in your finances. Barbara and I went through this program years ago, and it changed the trajectory of our financial peace and our financial health. It'll do the same for you. So I encourage you to check it out. At City Church, we radically love, we sacrificially give, and we passionately serve. That means finding your unique way to serve Jesus' movement. When you passionately serve, you find meaning in life by making a difference. You see what I'm saying? Because 
You're helping other people become the masterpieces Jesus sees in them. And look, you don't have to preach a sermon to make a difference. You don't have to write a book to make a difference. Preach a sermon with your life. Write a book with your life. Invest your life in people. And you will find meaning yourself as you see them become the masterpieces God sees in them. Our value uh, of passionate serving, I believe, allows all people to thrive in Christ. And I encourage you to get involved in the greatest movement ever. Our final value acknowledges that no one becomes a masterpiece alone. And so at City Church, we courageously connect. You see, in order to become the masterpiece Jesus sees in in you, you, you do have to get out of the mess. And what we found is that nobody gets out of the mess alone. And so I've been honest with you guys. I talked to you about it last week, about my own struggles with anger, serious anger issues. And when I finally acknowledged the messiness of my anger, that it was marring the masterpiece God was trying to create in me, I needed help to change. I needed the help of some friends to help me become the masterpiece Jesus could see in me. And so when when, when I ask you to courageously connect, I'm talking about finding your circle. That's the circle of, of six to eight friends, spiritually minded friends, who can help you become the masterpiece Jesus sees in you and to, you know, for whom you can be there when they're in times of need. Find your circle, courageously connect, and it will impact your life. Look, I promise you, no matter where you are today, Jesus can see the masterpiece in you. And he sees the masterpiece in us. We are a masterpiece together. We are a people, not a place. We are a body, not a building. We are a movement, not a meeting. We are a messy church for messy people with messy lives who have experienced the beauty of messy grace. And we exist to help other people experience the beauty of grace so they can become masterpieces too. Can you imagine what would happen if we were truly united together? With all of our messiness, think of the collage of all of our messiness together and it becomes something beautiful. Folks, we would change things. Our families would be better. Our community would be better. Our city would be better. We would make this world a better place together. And that's what City Church is all about. But maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, Pastor Brent, I feel more like that Samaritan woman. My life is a mess. And I can't seem to shake my past. I encourage you to entrust your life, to put your trust in the hands of the master artist. He can take the splashes of your life He can take the dribbles, the blobs. He can make something beautiful of your life. If you will entrust your life into the hands of the master artist, he will make a masterpiece from your mess. And I encourage you to put your trust in him today. Let's pray together. And if you have never expressed your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so today. I really do believe he is the savior of the world. He can forgive your sins and give you grace and offer you eternal life. And I invite you to put your trust in him today.
So if you're ready to do that, I invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. Maybe you would whisper it out loud as an expression of your faith. You ready? God, I believe in you. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I give you my messiness. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And to give me eternal life. And Lord God, in response to their prayers, I ask that you would do what you promised. You promised that if we would put our trust in your son, that you would forgive our sins. That you would remove the burden of guilt, even now. And that you would fill us with your spirit to confirm within our hearts that we are your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.